0: Yeah, Tears for Fears is like the bad finger of New Wave. Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. And now, here are Callie,
1: Erica, and Bridget.
2: Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, your favorite mixtape podcast. I'm Erica. I'm Kelly. I'm Bridget. Each episode, we select songs that fit a particular theme and we tell you about them. This week's theme is undercovers or original versions of songs that were not as popular as their cover versions.
1: I'm super excited this week because I tried really hard with my notes. So I hope you like them because if not, I'm never making an
2: effort again. <laughs> I picked some that definitely. I think our listener demographic will be like that cover was not as popular, but statistically speaking it was. And I think that's interesting. I don't know. I think it'll be pretty varied
0: because everyone has a different experience with hearing these songs. So that's why I didn't pick anything like for a while. I wasn't going to use some of my picks cause I'm like, eh, that's too obvious, but I decided to include them because I don't, no, like I don't have a good grasp on what people know and think about I've I've learned
2: yeah I think at least like through us discussing which version we heard first and then we can you know ask our listeners which versions they heard first also uh, we'll do a thing we'll play you at least two versions some of the songs have three versions I guess once a song gets covered people are like <laughs> it's open season <laughs> you just- yeah Yes, yeah, some of mine have three or four versions. All right, Kelly, why don't you start us off?
0: Okay, my first song is Tainted Love by Gloria Jones. And who
2: takes love?
0: And here is the cover by Soft Cell.
1: could give you. Take my tears and that's really...
0: Tainted Love was originally written by Ed Cobb, who was a singer-songwriter most notable for writing this song. And Dirty Water by the Standels, which I know because my brother and I had the Nuggets compilation. Are y'all familiar with that? It came out in the nineties. It was just like psych garage rock. Anybody oh, no, know what no. that is? Oh. No. It was pretty cool. It came out in the nineties because I think in the nineties everyone who was like a kid or a teenager in the sixties was coming oh, of age. So there was so much it. like there was it's so much dead. 60s revival stuff in the yeah. 90s.
2: We talked about it on one of the episodes how, like, um, like that's like the Beach Boys around Full House and shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that
2: phenomenon Like that, like like, that and 90s. Me and my
0: brother yeah. talked about this when we did 12 Months on Mike, and we're talking about Austin Powers, but... Um, Like Austin Powers, TV Land was banging in the 90s. That's why Mm. I was into the monkeys was because of all that. It was just like (laughs) a whole bunch of stuff from the 60s came back in the 90s. So one of those things was this Nuggets compilation. And so that's where I heard Dirty Water. Um, But that's not the song we're talking about. I just like to talk about Nuggets because it was a good compilation, which I think you can find on Spotify, just FYI. The first recorded version of Tainted Love by Gloria Jones was in 1964, but I've also included Gloria Jones's 1976 cover of her own song for her album Vixen, which was produced by her boyfriend Mark Bolan of T Rex. Mark Bolan is actually the reason I know that Tainted Love was a cover because, as discussed in a previous episode, I am a huge Mark Bolin fan. When I was a teenager, my entire life that wasn't consumed by school and playing The Sims 2 was pretty much just me going online and researching Mark Vollan, saving hundreds of pictures of him into a file on our computer, reading Mojo Magazine articles, and listening to Electric Warrior and the Slider on repeat, like, constantly. So, of course, at some point, I discovered that Tainted Love was not a soft sell original, but was, in fact, by Mark Wallen's Baby Mama. However, it actually wasn't until researching for this episode that I discovered that the 1976 version... um, I said that wrong. Sorry, y'all. However, it actually wasn't until researching for this episode that I discovered the 1976 version. Previously, I had only heard the one from 1964 that has kind of a Motown sound to it. The 76 version rules because it sounds like a T Rex song. It has congas. Around this time, he was doing kind of like a disco sound. Um, so you can definitely hear that in the production and the the music. Um, and it really showcases Gloria Jones's voice in a way that Mark totally underutilized when he had Gloria on his music as a backup singer. Because in those songs, he basically just used her as Flo and Eddie, but like louder. <laughs> If you can if you can believe that. Um, I like this 76 version of Tainted Love better than the soft cell version and better than the original um 64 version also by Gloria Jones. And I'm now obsessed with this whole Vixen album. It's really sick. Um, but I'd never heard it before. I didn't even realize that he had produced that album for her. I'm not gonna talk about the Marilyn Manson version because fuck that guy, and I've also never heard it, so bye. <laughs>
2: I hadn't heard the original until this playlist, and then I immediately listened to the 76 version, which is far superior. That's to me, like, it is I such love a banger,
0: one. and it sounds so. I was going to write this in my notes, but I didn't want to because it was going way off track. But um, I'll try to put this briefly. When I was a kid, I was super into like Electric Warrior Slider, like that period of T-Rex. And I hated his newer (laughs) stuff, his quote unquote newer stuff Um, (laughs) when he was like really deep into cocaine addiction and like cheating on his wife with gloria and (laughs) i was very much like a goody goody but as an adult now i'm 30 i'm older than mark was when he died and i love the newer stuff like 75 through his death in 77 there's some really good stuff on those albums how old was he when he died he was 30 Whoa. He had just know, turned thirty. He I don't was think his I know Jesus. Jesus was thirty-three. Je- oh wow! Okay, he was younger than Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I know
2: more about Marvel than Jesus. I know when I turned thirty-three, my other friends that had been in the Catholic religion all texted me. <laughs> Happy <Thanksgiving> age. <laughs> you made it as long as Jesus, but no, I think that's really interesting. Um, I like that version a lot.
1: I do too. It's. I feel like that piano part like, really relentless part of this song makes way more sense in the 76 version than it does in the soft-cell version. Like, I've always loved the soft-cell version, but that kind of, you know, the Mm dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. That's, like...
0: I'm trying to figure out which version they heard. I mean, I guess it could have been both, but, like, mm -hmm. you know, British people were obsessed with Northern Soul, but also, like, Mark Bolin was more famous in the UK, so I... and, And he, like, really influenced a lot of like punk and new wave artists so i imagine they would have definitely heard the gloria jones version too from 76 so i don't know it's like i, I guess i could have heard both because you can hear both influences in the soft Cell version
1: i don't know that much about soft Cell. were they like a pretty like legit underground-y kind of band or were they more
0: i don't know anything about, i know i know mark allman kind of but i feel like they were influenced by t-rex because a lot of punk rock and new wave people from that era, I know The Damned appeared on Mark Boland's um, television show that he had as like fucking like. Sunny and Cher ass like variety show
1: <laughs> called Mark, true, isn't it? Oh God, <laughs> it was called
0: Mark. <laughs> yes, it's so amazing because when he does the um, I don't mean to talk about Mark when I'm trying to. Uh, this, oh is Gloria, this is Gloria. Know, this is Gloria Jones' song, but, but she was driving the car when he died, so you know he gets to steal the spotlight a little bit. From her. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> is she dead? No, she's alive. Um, and thank goodness I'm not. Not to cast aspersions. But um anyway, <laughs>
2: we get, like,
0: we're really we're round so hard to not make us problematic and I keep just dragging <laughs> us back
1: <down. clears throat> Let's relitigate oh. Mark Boland's death. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um no, but his his variety show sort of is so funny because Mark has this like typical like Mark soft spoken voice, so <laughs> all of his intros would be like, and and now we're gonna play the damned is a little band, Like something like that where it's like, why are you talking so quiet? <laughs> it's like an NPR.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of. Excited. Oh, it's funny. You can find some of the clips on YouTube. I highly <laughs> encourage you to watch them
2: because they are great. I love watching old shit that I wasn't alive for, or the right age for on YouTube, but, like, music-related shit. My friend was looking at Prince stuff the other day, like, different videos and different performances, and she found one, and she sent it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's from, like, the musicology era. He did the little acoustic performance with Wendy, and she was like, is there... I, I can send you nothing that you... Haven't seen, and I was like, I wish, I wish that was the, I wish you could, <laughs> but unfortunately, I've seen it all. <laughs> Just sitting there watching endless like old talk shows. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's me
0: with Mark. I there's nothing I haven't watched when I was like 17 that was available out. Yeah, I'm not a big YouTuber. I don't know why. I mean, I'm- the first video I ever watched on YouTube was Elvis Costello's video from Radio Radio. <laughs> Just so stupid. <laughs> so I like exclusively used it to watch old music videos and stuff when I was a kid, and I obsessively found like all of Mark Boland's Top of the Pops performances and stuff, and that was that was why I had I, no friends when I was a teenager.
2: I feel like I'm gonna date myself, but it's not a bad thing. But just like when I was in college, I've been in college for a couple of years, and I remember youtube coming out and it took a while before there was like actual like stuff on there like i literally remember somebody sent me like a full family guy episode (laughs) back in like the two years where family guy was actually like it was like funny and new and not a total turd but um and youtube hadn't started cracking down on copyrights yet probably um and then i remember in like 2006 i had some friends we would look for stuff that I would have previously gone to like torrent sites and downloaded. I remember watching pretty regularly <laughs> the live aid performance of Queen. And then so when I saw it in Bohemian Rhapsody, I was like, oh, they really got it right. Cause John, is it what's his name? Is it the, the bass player? Or not the yeah, the bass player. He's like in that like pink, weird, like kind of printed shirt, and then there's just Pepsi cups littering this piano. And I was yeah, like, Jim Oh, they Pepsi. got it right. <laughs> Drink, it's like the third episode, drink Pepsi.
1: Drink Pepsi, Um, clowns. Speaking of YouTube, um, I am going to say something about the Marilyn Manson version, and it is this. (laughs) The video is great, it's very sexy and goth, and this whole conversation has made me realize that Marilyn Manson has definitely not heard the two original versions. He's definitely only heard the soft sell version, because you would never in a million years hear those versions and then make the Marilyn Manson covers. That's
0: that's that's what's so interesting about the soft sell no, version is you up. can tell that they are pulling from. Well, yeah, because I forgot that the um, either the single version or one of them has a medley with "Where Did Our Where Love Did Go" Our the Love Motown go? song. So, <laughs> you, I, I imagine that they would have heard the '64 <laughs> version as
2: well. For a long time, I maintained that my favorite part of tainted love was when it went into where did our love go <laughs> that was my favorite part of the song when it was no longer <laughs> okay that song yes anymore. because i've come around i do enjoy it a lot more than i than i used to um my musical tastes have shifted just a little oh you don't like this song the tainted i do it's not my, i version? like the part of the where did our love go part better but, uh, um, well, it's interesting. I don't because skip it when it comes <laughs> on or The original
0: Tainted Love is kind of like a Motown ripoff. And then mm-hmm. I feel like the 76 one, it just comes into its own. Yeah. Like, Gloria Jones's voice is so good on that. It's so raspy and soulful. It, like I I just love the one produced by Mark better. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like and I feel like I like Soft Cell's version too. I just feel like I've heard it so many times that it just doesn't phase mm-hmm. me
2: anyway. But the production can yeah, really change, change something. Like, have you heard the White Snake, Here I Go Again on my own. There's the original, but then it was like redone by Dan Hoff, remastered, reproduced in 2018. And it sounds so different. Like, Probably, to me. Probably, because I
0: listen to that song often. But.
2: Right. If go, go listen to the difference between the two of them. And then there was like, like I, I was telling Hunter that I liked it better. But then we listened to like, there's like several different versions of White Snake, Here I Go Again. Maybe four or six of them. We listened to them all and we were like, mm, in the end, the original one wins out as the.
0: It's because White Snake is yeah. perfect and does not need to be improved upon.
2: <laughs> it's true. Well said. Um,
1: Bridget. Yes, here I am to talk to you about Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Was it that time?
2: Yeah, we, it was so quiet. I'm listening. It was so <laughs> NPR <NPR-based>.
1: voice. <laughs> um, here we go. Here's a clip of the original... My friend Wade recently informed me that Nine Inch Nails is redneck Radiohead, and the more I think about it, the more I have to agree. Um, I loved this album and Trent Reznor in high school with a limerence so deep and fervent that it could only have been fueled by the most clinical of depressions. Nine Inch Nails is the stage name of Trent Reznor. I don't actually remember anything about him as a person. At one point, I could probably tell you his whole birth chart from memory, but... I don't know where he's from or how old he is or what his first band was called anymore, and I consider that growth. Um, their first album came out in 1989 and it's super angry and danceable, and then they had Broken in 1992 and then The Downward Spiral um, in 94, which is where Hurt comes from. The Downward Spiral is a concept album, and the concept is misanthropic depression that ultimately sucks the narrator into its void. It's fucking let's have a parade about that. This is very, like, disjointed. I tried to do very little research about this because I didn't want to get triggered into another, like, spiral <laughs> on Nine ish Nails. Um, <laughs> yeah, then they, after the downward spiral, they had further down the spiral, and then that's pretty much where I stopped. My, my hyperfixation ended, and I moved out of my hometown. Um, But if you like record industry drama, you should read the history section of Nine Inch Nails on Wikipedia because they've changed record labels very angrily many times. Um, They also have this thing where every official release has a halo number. It's confusing to me. I don't understand what the purpose of it is. They're like just a chronological numbering of official releases by Nine Inch Nails. Not super clear. If anybody out there, any industrial genre clowns want to weigh in on what the purpose of Halo Numbers is, please do. Um, But speaking of Hurt, this song is about how the narrator is such a toxic, damaged person that he can only feel through pain. He assures the listener that he will destroy their life, too. And in the process of his own self-destruction, he's going to destroy the listener, too. This meant so much to me when I was a teenager, and when I was re-listening to it, I was like, good lord. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Like, I would just listen to this album back to back to back to back all day for months. Oh my
2: god. (laughs) Yeah, but I understand that. I had a lot of teen angst and de- clinical depression and then worse when my parents put me on zoloft and then there were no feelings at all and i was depressed enough to have about that <laughs> but i listened. Well, i can't
1: believe you weren't a nine super fan
2: no i did i liked what i knew from the radio and so i knew you know the, the basic hits but for me it was my my coming of age timed itself a little bit more with um, like Third Eye Blind and Everclear and that guy's got some like daddy issues and somehow just <laughs> <which is> really <laughs> but I get that I, I get like using music especially at that stage of your life where you're like you have very little control and you feel like you're old enough to make some decisions for yourself but no one trusts you and they just tell you how dumb and childish you are and you're like well I guess I'm gonna go listen to my Limp biscuit. <laughs> I would listen to that to make my parents mad, but gotta get it out one way or another.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if I was getting it out, but I was definitely feeling things deeply. Um, I can also see why Johnny Cash would connect with this song, kind of. Like, I know he was an addict in recovery, but it's also hard for me to see him, like, really connecting with the deep. Like, I've, I've always seen him as a little bit more. Self assured, but I guess I don't know anything about him. The cover of the song is on his album American Four, produced by Rick Rubin, and here's a clip.
0: What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away.
1: Trent Reznor was really flattered that Johnny Cash would want to use this song, but he was worried it would be gimmicky. But then once he heard their version, he said it was Johnny's song now. It's very, like, desolate, and the music video is super desolate and sad. I'm not going to say it's sadder than the original music video, but it's pretty sad. Um, It came out in 2002, and Johnny died the next year.
2: I remember when it came out because... My friends and I like gathered around the <laughs> something. I don't know. I was the old working, YouTube. Yeah, I was working in a music store, and there was some kind of like other streaming service. And we, I remember we we watched it, and and then I also remember that the day that Johnny Cash died, I was like, well, better wear all black for the man in black, because so I was like not really like. Yeah, kind this
0: of this mine. song reminds me. Well, this happened first, obviously, but it has the same energy as Bowie's Black Star, kind of. Where it's like he's kind of predicting and like tying up loose ends. Totally. I remember when this came out because mm-hmm. they played it on um, the college radio station at MSU, The Impact, which my mom would listen to all the time. And it bummed me out. Um, I was really upset about it. I was When I was a teenager, I was kind of the opposite where I could not listen to sad music because I was so sad all the time that I was like I can't, I can't do this Um, which is why I listen to T-Rex all the time but um, I have since started listening to more Nine Inch Nails because at the time I knew it was a cover, I just had never heard the Nine Inch Nails version and the only Nine Inch Nails song I liked and had heard was Closer because it legit sounds like a song from Spyro 2 Ripto's Rage which has a baller soundtrack by Stuart Copeland (laughs) Um, what is that? Uh, Spyro 2, the game. It's for, on the PlayStation. It was a game that I also played a lot when I was a kid. And the soundtrack Computer is... Computer game? Uh, for the PlayStation. It's really <laughs> sick. And Stuart Copeland of, believe it or not, the police, did the soundtrack for that. <laughs> and, a lot of, and a lot of other 90s kid stuff, he did the theme song for The Amanda Show, which sounds... It, it's... <laughs> Yeah, he did a whole bunch of stuff, and it's, like his, the Spiral soundtrack is one of my favorite like pieces of music ever. It's it's so sick. It's such a baller soundtrack. Except for the "fuck you like an animal" part, that's not in the Spiral team soundtrack. <laughs> but I, I but if you listen to the the music from Hurricoes, the Level Hurricoes, and then you listen to "Closer" by Nine Inch Nails, it fucking sounds similar I swear to god and I remember thinking that when I was a kid and I listened to them again today and I was like yeah they sound very similar so fun fact that's not about the song you chose but it is about Nine Inch Nails so
2: <laughs> the Johnny Cash version actually made me look up the Nine Inch Nails version because I really liked it and I was like well gotta hear the original and I like uh, I like both. I think it's deeper and more interesting to hear yeah. Johnny Cash sing it at that point in his career and in his I life. I don't
0: know anything about Johnny Cash except for what I learned from Walk the Line and from that <laughs> it seems like it seems like this fits with this whole thing. There was a lot of <laughs> crying and getting your tractor stuck in shit and ruining people's lives and that. And Do you
1: guys ever mix <laughs> up scenes from Walk the line with scenes from Walk Hard. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like I how you, as I soon as I said, does I'm anyone like,
1: else, you were like, yeah. I knew
2: exactly what it was because I did the same fucking thing. Wrong kid died. Just the mixing up of the names and the scenes and stuff because I was like been cut in half real bad that's not the right movie <laughs> <laughs> I, also, I think I saw those movies within like the same week or something so it did nothing to really oh, no. help and then, oh, and then the Ray Charles movie which was it's also very similarly that uh, Walk Hard draws from that as well alright it's time it's time alright on one hand I am so, so sorry that I'm going to talk about Prince again, but the story behind the song is just one of my favorite things. And I just, whatever you think this song is about or what inspired this song, I guarantee you're wrong. So here is the cover of Nothing Compares to You that was far more popular, which is Sinead O'Connor in 1990. I said nothing can take away. Prince's version, which was a recording he did as a demo for his side project, The Family. Blue,
0: nothing compares, no, nothing
2: to you. Nothing, nothing. And you know what? Fuck it. Here's part of The Family's version.
1: Your way this blues cause nothing of it nothing of it to you
2: nothing nothing First let's talk about the Chine version so Prince liked writing songs for people, and he would even offer his own songs for people to cover. Like, he gave I Feel For You to Chaka Khan, which, funny enough, is another song that's more popular than its original. Um, and he was a, he kind of ghost wrote, he gave a lot of songs away. But unfortunately, Prince did not give this song to Sinead to cover. She just took it, and Prince didn't like that very much. But this episode is about original versions, so let's get back to that. I do think it's important to address the timeline of releases. So first it was The Family in 1985. Sinead released her version in 1990. And then in 1993, Prince released a version with Rosie Gaines, and it was a duet. So then, only after he died, this original recording from 1984 of Just Prince Came out just in case anybody wanted to be like, well, technically it's the family. No, it's a Prince song. It's a Prince song. It's always been a Prince song.
0: I like that we are we are already anticipating Prince fans coming for us. I just I <laughs> think has never happened in the history and, of the and podcast. Let, it, let it be known that <laughs> we say fuck those people. <laughs> fuck
2: you. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time argue with your places, mama <laughs> in person and in the internet where Prince fans love to talk to me like I don't know what I'm talking about and I have a huge chip on my shoulder from it. Oh no, trust me, I know. And I will run those people out on
0: the rail and bully them. It's it's the wizard of us. You were there. Erica, we we know know. for a fact that we can bully these people, so don't even, you could say whatever the fuck you want on
1: here. I fear no, nerd. Don't come for (laughs) us. And also, I believe basically everything you say, even though sometimes I'm surprised by it.
2: Okay, great. So this song was and is often used after Prince died, and it's often accompanied by like a photo or a video montage, leaving a nary a dry eye in sight. Um, A few of Prince's ex-partners at the time have claimed it's about them, and the lyrics really do sound as if they're written about the loss of a romantic partner of some sort. But the real inspiration for this song came from his housekeeper at the time, Sandy. They did not have a romantic relationship. She just kind of like ran his life. So here's a part of an interview with Susan Rogers, who is his recording engineer from 1983 to 1987. They worked together 24 hours a day for that like four year period. So she says in the summer of 1984, Prince was on a creative role cranking out a song a day. His housekeeper, Sandy, had to leave suddenly to be with her family when her father died of a heart attack. So she had been gone for a couple weeks, and Sandy ran Prince's life. Prince kept asking, when is Sandy coming back? So if you think about the song, think about the line, all the flowers you planted died when you went away, and the line, I know that living with me is sometimes hard. Those are about Sandy. So those are like his housekeeper who took care of everything. So of course it could have been, you know, the inspiration and morphed into something deeper, but I just, I really like that it's about that specific relationship. And I also like that Susan Rogers said something else that I noticed myself about Prince and his music. It's that he was very specific and very guarded about what he wanted people to know about him. So something that would be really personal or not on brand for him or kind of like how he wanted to present himself to the world it would be really easy for him to just give that away to the family which was like his girlfriend Susanna Melvoin and Paul Peterson and you know what was kind of left of the revolution like more like whoever he coerced into like I think isn't like isn't Jerome in there um But yes, I like.
0: Yeah, I like. Literally, it's literally the white dude who replaced the other white dude from the time and Prince's girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's replaced by Saint Paul Peterson.
2: Yeah, (laughs) the dumbest fucking name. I would like to talk about the family in a moment after I finish talking about that because that's like the fucking Prince being the shittiest person, and it's so fucking petty and funny. But anyway. Um, I like that he took the song back like after Sinead did it and he recorded a duet with Rosie Gaines because the Rosie Gaines version is fucking amazing and she like crushes it live. Like he started doing it on the Diamonds and Pearls tour in 92 and then when the hits came out he added it as like an officially released song. Um, I just fucking love Rosie Gaines and so much. Oh yeah, but nothing Nothing
0: can take away this thing. Nothing compared. Nothing compared to you.
2: So I heard the Sinead O'Connor version first, then I heard the Prince and Rosie Gaines duet, and then the family version. And then finally, like, the Prince version, because that's, you know, whatever. But um, the family version, I don't like it. I always say, like, about every song, I'm like, oh, I like it. I don't fucking like it. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> so what about which versions did you all like? I don't get? like the
0: family version of Nothing Compares, but I do like a lot of songs on the family album. Um, But I actually oh, like, I, I like the Prince the, Blue Lays better than um, the family. The but thing. There's some bangers on the family album because...
2: During Mutiny, that period, Mutiny is my favorite. Mutiny's dope. High fashion song is dope. Of that era, screams High of passion is rules. So fucking dope. Screams <laughs> of passion rules because those are those are so specific to Prince and he would perform them live. But just he. Well, gave Well, I to originally the family heard
0: them from Prince because the first time I heard them was when my brother had downloaded a whole bunch of Prince bootlegs. No, he didn't. <laughs> Don't listen to this. Um, and I heard a whole bunch of stuff. On there, and I was like, these songs are so sick. But um, even on the family album, that's when Prince was working with Claire Fisher, and I just really oh like strings and Fisher, pop music, yeah. um, which is another reason I love T Rex, was because of the strings. Also, fun fact about Claire Fisher, from Duran, Michigan, which was a major hub of the Grand Trunk Western, which was referenced in our labor episode in relation to Grand Funk Railroad. So I enjoy that little Michigan Railway deep cut. Fact <laughs> for all you railroadies, grand funk heads,
2: and Michigan history buffs. Railroadies. Just a little tidbit for the bullies. <laughs> um I, like I heard mutiny for the first time right after Prince died, and he no longer had his grasp over YouTube, and anybody and everybody was uploading all their fucking bootlegs, and it was oh, like the wild west. It was unpoliced. And it, nobody owned, was in charge of his mistake or, or his estate. Nobody owned it. And so it was like, I don't know, this shit is just up until somebody reports it. And so that was like... The good old That things. was how... Oh my God, it was so fucking good. I that think AIS, I heard it in like
0: 2014 or something.
2: I saw... It performed, he performed it in a 1986 performance, his birthday show at Cobo Hall, but Cobo Hall doesn't name that anymore because Cobo was a racist, but <laughs> it's that performance, and I saw it, and I lost my fucking mind. I love that song so much, and then when I went to Paisley Park, the family actually played one year at Celebration, <laughs> so it was... I was really excited about it. And he does like this dumb little dance. Oh, it's just so fucking good. It's truly like one of the it's like Prince doing like funk music in the way that he did it in the 80s. That's like so fucking delightful and rich. And it relates to Paul Peterson, though. Can I tell this? It's a quick little story.
0: Please tell us some Paul Peterson facts. St. Paul
2: Peterson. Okay, so St. Paul Peterson was basically, (laughs) Prince was like, okay, you're going to be my next protege. You're going to be in my band, the family, with my girlfriend and with whoever's left of the time. Because the time had been defunct, Morris Day had like parted ways and Jelly Bean and Terry Lewis uh, were producing fucking hit after hit for Janet Jackson And real successful. And so he's like, all right, come join this. And so Paul Peterson is, Prince was like, he's like the funkiest white guy that I know. (laughs) And they recorded the album. (laughs) Good question. Uh, (laughs) Great question. He recorded the album, and then Paul Peterson was like, oh, I I think I I don't want to do this, and kind of like backed out. And Prince got real mad. And so Prince took mutiny, and so for that 1986 tour he performs it and there's a part where it would break down and he would get the audience chanting, right? And he would get them to start chanting, Paul, punk of the month. <laughs> <laughs> and at one That's point funny. there's pictures of people wearing shirts that say Paul Punk of the Month, and he literally taunted him, and there's, like, a show at First Avenue where he maintains this chant, and it's at First Avenue in Minneapolis, and Prince is like, Paul, you out there? You you watching this shit? Like, he knew he might have come to the show. So it is just, Prince was so mad. It was so petty. It didn't really go anywhere do anything, but it does have some, like, really good songs on it. I believe Nothing that, Compares
0: to You is not one of them. I believe that St. Paul Peterson was punk of the month more than I believe he was the funkiest white guy that we
1: <laughs> um,
0: knew. one more thing about nothing compares to you and then we can move on. Unless y'all want to talk more about this. But I never really I obviously I heard the Sinead O'Connor version first. Um and I didn't realize it was a cover until I got really deep into Prince. But anyway, have y'all heard the Girl talk song where he samples it and yes. splices what it you with know about with, with I know all about.
2: That.
0: Well, and also <laughs> with shauna getting some. That's the first time I ever like. Whenever I hear nothing compares to you, I just hear getting some hit. I was getting some I was hit. Getting <laughs> some hit. I can't. I can't listen to nothing compares to you without thinking about that. <laughs>
2: On Feed the Animals, which is Girl Talk, which came out in 2008, which is really funny because I was obsessed with Feed the Animals and the one that came out after that, those two albums he has, and I was like obsessed with it. My friend and I went to see the show, and then my friend Lizzie was like, that's my friend Greg. Like they went to college together and I was like, what? I was like, he's so fucking cool. And she was like, yeah, he used to DJ our parties back at Kent State and he would just break people's laptops because he was like, he would just be doing too much too aggressively. And I was like, that's metal. I like it. I always like
0: Girl Swag because it sounded like the music I made as a teenager, but like better (laughs) because I did a whole (laughs) bunch of sample heavy bullshit music. Which is still on SoundCloud if you want to hear it. But I, oh my god, uh, I want to hear please? it. Uh, I will. I will admit that it's not as good as Girl Talk. I didn't go anywhere with it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Chris mix Cornell. anything, so it sounds like shit. Oh, <laughs> what about
2: Chris, Chris
1: Cornell? Cornell? Also covered the song, and it's not very good.
2: What? I didn't know that. I didn't. Here's the thing. Like you, I did little actual research. Like I, I. Oh, God, I, I know this. It's in my fibers of my being. I didn't even have to look it up. Even when I typed in, I was trying to find the article to link it in case anybody questioned me. It was like, you've visited this page ten times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um But anyway, so I did little research, so I didn't know that.
1: I just searched for the song on Spotify.
2: I just searched for it on Spotify. (laughs) Literally no research. You just type in the song title. I could have found that out by just adding it to the playlist. Wow. All right. You hardly needed to. All right, we don't have to talk about Petty Prince anymore, although anytime somebody wants a story about Prince being petty, I have one. We know where to go. Yeah, it's me.
0: It was recently the anniversary of his death. We can... We can splurge a little bit on some Prince knowledge.
2: I thought that it would time itself nicely with that.
0: All right, y'all you know, wanna talk about alone? Of course. <laughs> All right, <laughs> insert the heart version here. alone by heart we all know it the piano exploding in the video it fucking rules but did you know it was originally recorded by i10 which is comprised of a couple of aor dorks billy steinberg and tom kelly who penned dozens of hits for hotter artists and a bunch of session dudes from toto pages and journey unfortunately not randy jackson though just the drummer. <laughs> the I10. Dude. Wait, Callie. Wait, what's AOR? Album oriented rock. So shit oh. you hate, Bridget. Stuff you, st- <laughs> this is this is you're not gonna like this. Um, I did like this song actually. I listened to the whole thing. The I10 or Heart? I10. The I10 version is pretty cool. Um, I still like Heart better, but I, I'm, but I like. Stupid fucking I mean, to- Toto shit. So, hey,
1: okay, thank you for educating
0: me about that. Let's of course. Um, move along. basically, it's like not all AOR is Yacht rock <laughs> but not all wait,
2: <laughs> but all Yacht rock is, but out. not all Yatrak, no. it's AOR. Yeah,
0: so like They're the just- Venn diagram does not. <laughs>
2: it's not it's no still um like one. it's the Venn diagram overlaps but it's not a circle. Yeah. Basically they're adjacent um but not the same.
0: <laughs> so
2: I'm sorry I interrupted.
0: So do the math. Um no because other people <laughs> might not know who a- what AOR is. Um okay. I-10 duo would go on to write so many 80s hits, many of which are on this album, but were just more successful when recorded by other artists. And hey, that's okay. We can't all be Cyndi Lauper or the Wilson sisters. Some of us are the people writing the songs behind the scenes for these mega artists and making mad bang for it. From the personnel list, you can probably tell that I initially discovered I-10 from listening to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, which is how I discovered this song was an undercover. It's on Yacht or Not episode number 78, if you're interested in listening to that. In fact, I went to AllMusic when I was researching for this episode, and at one point I scrolled up on the article I was reading and realized that it was written by Steve Huey of <laughs> Yot Rock. I love Steve! Rock, so, so, shout out to him. Wow. And that's I-10.
1: What are they named after? Are they named after the freeway?
0: I
2: don't fucking know.
0: But I imagine that's why they didn't get that famous, because their band name is stupid. It's pretty bad.
2: Yeah, it's one of the worst ones. It's like, (laughs) I don't, I don't, but really, though,
1: like, I ten. It's very much, I want to scroll past it. I was, when I saw you added it, I was like, physically didn't want to listen to the song. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah and like the, the, the album cover just looks like generic like cold clinical like corporate art from the 80s like it's just it's so it's like a theater mask yeah, like, <laughs> fucking, who fucking it's cares fucking but I mean I love this shit so I care because this is like well it's be- a great song I'm glad it, I listened to but it but not only that but like that specific aesthetic is so in my wheelhouse it's like if I see some dorks writing divorce core music in the 80s, I'm like, yeah, I'm all about this. So it's made for me, basically. Um, but I didn't know that they originally wrote this song for Heart. So that's cool, because I always love the Heart version.
2: Oh, I big, love the Heart. heart, r- heart I love 80s, 80s Heart. I do love, speaking of album-oriented rock, I do love Dreamboat Annie, mm. but it's such a different vibe than fucking... The I love I love 80s
0: of, I love 80s heart better than 70s heart. heart I love um these dreams love it I almost so chose
2: dreamboat Annie for our flutes episode but I was like it's not time to talk about heart just yet
1: it's not time. <laughs> save it
2: it's not yeah but on a flutes episode come on at Our least listened to episode, by the
0: way. <laughs> that's crazy to me like, because I love that episode, but I also so I love it. It's good. The people hate flutes.
2: Haters. The people hate flutes and they love crime.
1: They, that's something we've learned. You clowns have weighed in and you love crime <laughs> and you hate
0: flutes. There's no accounting for taste.
1: My next song is Valerie by the Zutons. Um, I was very surprised to learn that the Zutons were a band from the years 2001 to 2009 because their sound is super early 90s to me. Like, I could see this song being on the soundtrack to a teen comedy based on classic English literature. Here's a clip. A three piece from liverpool the three pieces are drums guitar vocals and saxophone and i think that the sax is actually what makes this band so fun um this song is like really springy i can picture the narrator like leaning out of his window to sing it into the street and like there's a kid selling newspapers and a fruit stand like very like rom-com climactic moment situation um, the Amy Winehouse version is a little bit less bouncy, although compared to most of her catalog, it has a bit of a swing to it. Here's a clip of
2: that. Well, since I come home, well, my body's been a maggot, and I miss your the hit, and the way you like the daggers, I want you come on over? gotta say
1: Valerie sounds like a babe the uh, saxophonist for the Zutons Abby Harding is really good at playing saxophone there's a lot of pictures of her playing um, what's the one that's one up from an alto a a soprano no I'm sorry one down
2: that's
1: a tenor thank you (laughs) resident saxophone expert there's (laughs) some pictures of her playing what I believe to be a tenor sax my sources inform me it's a tenor sax And she looks really great doing it. She's got perfect bangs. We love a lady horn player.
0: Your thoughts? I didn't know this was a cover until I saw it in the playlist. And when I saw it, I thought it was a cover of (laughs) Valerie by Steve Winwood. And I was like, that seems seems out of character for Bridget.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I had the same reaction. I was like, oh, my God. Valerie by Steve Winwood is a cover, and then I played well, it. And, and I was like, "It kind of
0: sounds like an old timey oh. band." So I was like, "Yeah, that's what band? I'm saying."
2: Steve Winwood's old timey.
0: So. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It sounded like '50s, <laughs> '60s, old timey, and then right.
1: Yeah, it sounds very '90s. Does '50s to me.
0: I heard Amy Winehouse's version first, obviously, um, and I like it. It's one of,
2: I actually one of the Amy Winehouse songs I really like. I actually didn't I like hear the, the Amy Winehouse too. version until, like, I don't know, this year, I think. I Something happened to me where I knew two Amy Winehouse songs, Rehab and Back to Black, end of list. I just wasn't a huge Amy Winehouse fan. Everybody that I knew was a huge Amy Winehouse fan, and I just, like, blocked it out, and I think... Well, I can't remember what I was listening to. Oh, I went back, oh, man. I went back deep into Modest Mouse at that period of time. I don't know what was the matter with me, but clearly something. Well...
1: I think her music, it's not like there was just this one period of time that it was on all the time and then it stopped. And also those were her two biggest radio hits. And then stuff like like Valerie came out after she died on um, a compilation called, I think it might have been on like a special extended edition of Back to Black, but again, that might not have come out till after she died. But I remember it getting a lot of play when her album Lioness, which was like unreleased recordings from the BBC, came out. And that was way after she passed away. And then also, like, her stuff keeps kind of coming back into the cultural cycle with, like, different, like, the documentary. And then her dad's trying to make a new movie about her. And for some reason, Valerie in specific has been getting a lot of play on, like... Not the radio, but, like, in cool stores.
0: That Yeah, kind of- I think I, I, actually, I actually heard it when I worked at the comic store. Yeah, and, and we could pick our own music and someone had a playlist with that on it. So that's where yeah, I
1: heard it first. It's always on, like, salon playlists and, like, like <laughs> the type of shot, like, pigment type shops will mm-hmm. play it.
2: I was going to say I could hear it. I could see it being on a playlist at yeah. my shop. Um, I wouldn't put it on there, but one of the no. yeah, you would put
0: cool people you who are allowed there. to make playlists. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm not allowed to play my music at my shop anymore because I played Van Halen one too many times. And then my shop owner was like, okay, you have to stop playing Van Halen. And the next time she, ha- I was like, I promise, no more Van Halen. And the next time she came in, I was playing The Bird and the Bee, <laughs> Re- the Remembering the Masters or something that's a cover it's like a piano cover of Running with the Devil. <laughs> no, she, like, she did the full name thing like when you're a child and you get Erica. in trouble. You get your middle name set. <laughs> I was like, but it's not David Lee Rod. And She was like, "I, you've misunderstood. You've lost the plot.
1: <laughs> She's wrong. You're right. Um, you want to talk about Badfinger?
2: Oh, yeah. I sure do. This song is called Without You. The more popular versions belong to Harry Nilsson and Mariah Carey, but the original was recorded in 1970 by Badfinger, a duo from the United Kingdom. Here are the covers. I can't
0: live If living is without you I can't live I can't give any Duo.
2: I think they're a full four-piece band because they were. It was on two Apple. writers. It was two co-writers, and then they had a band. So, but the writers are the. Oh, the there's four motherfuckers on this cover, though. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the two, other? the two wrote it. The okay. two guys, the duo okay. wrote it, and then they had a fucking band. The two guys, the duo, also those are the ones that killed themselves. Um, I don't know. Yeah.
1: One, I've, it's like I've never heard of this band before.
0: Well, they, let me tell you about it. They were like a. Please. They were on Apple. They were like basically Beatles protégés and they were all depressed.
2: Yeah, they ended up, um, I, Callie actually mentions it, which is funny because I was like, I'm not going to say anything, but I bet Callie's going to know. I was like, I won't mention that they both committed suicide. Over this, one, I think over this song, one of them was about this song. One of them was like this a song. With, one of them was a dispute about royalties from this song, and after like a heated conversation, he hung himself.
1: Jesus Christ! Okay. I know.
2: So I, I wasn't gonna say that, but um, yeah.
0: I can't live.
2: the third power ballad i've had the pleasure of talking about on our little show the first was lady by Styx and then delilah by tom jones actually um i think it's the fourth because nothing compares to you is also technically described as a power ballad so i guess that's a preferred genre of music for me without you is quite clearly about a breakup in that absolutely heart-wrenching place where you feel physically ill from emotion and it feels like you really can't live without someone The cover versions both have long and sustained notes as the song begins to crescendo towards the climax, but the thing I really like about the Badfinger version is that the notes are short and they're clipped. Like, it really evokes that feeling when you're on the verge of tears and if you open your mouth, everything might just spill out on its own. And like, even when I'm happy and content and, you know, love and life, the song still makes me cry because it's just bubbling over with emotion and it's really beautiful while really, really upsetting. Um, which version did you find folks here first? For me, I heard in this order, Harry Nilsson, then Badfinger, then Mariah Carey. And the Mariah Carey version I heard last night. <laughs> I didn't I know it I did existed. not
0: know there were any covers of this until I saw it in the playlist. Um, I've only heard Badfinger. But I am a big sad boy 70s power pop fan. So um, I as- first heard this song when I was a kid um, because <laughs> I, I don't know if I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but we were like a big like Beatles household <laughs> growing up. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously we were aware of Bad Finger as well. And um, I could not handle this song because as I've mentioned several times, I was just unable to like stomach sad music until like. Probably the last like twelve years or so. Now I had listened to sad music a lot, um but yeah, Badfinger really, really has a way of conveying emotion um, that is indicative of the fact that two of the members committed suicide. Um, <laughs> they have another it's, song. It's
2: really dark. <laughs> but it's, it's, like, so
0: beautiful, and it and it mm-hmm. really conveys that feeling, like, what you were talking about, and, mm-hmm. oh, my God, Badfinger has this song, it's on their album, Ass, um, <laughs> which has a picture of a donkey on it, and it's called <laughs> I Can Love You, oh, for fuck's sake, that song, it's, like, the first opening notes immediately just makes me go into the fetal position and like drown myself in a pool of tears it just like really affects me and george harrison george harrison plays guitar on it and there's something about the specific tone of george harrison's guitar that makes me so fucking sad i love that song it's so beautiful the lyrics are beautiful but i cannot listen to it because it just like affects me so deeply
2: for whatever
0: reason it's just so upsetting
2: this is a song that i the times in my life where i have been going through like like a breakup or something like when you would want to listen to the song i it's too sad and i i have to avoid it there's other songs that i will listen to and sing to and like soothe myself like um oh my god my favorite for that is Patty LaBelle and Michael McDonald on my own. I that's yeah, just Yeah, which, like, which is also sad but hopeful, but like it's, best it hits you oh, at I the end this way. Uh it's f- so fucking good and kind of like confused, but this is like this is definitely I too would walk into a closet in. <laughs> Myself. Even like
0: even like I it's Can Love You so is sad. a love song, but it just hits you at this like primal level of sadness. That's like, why is this so fucking sad? Um but Badfinger also has some really good, like I, they did uh No Matter What, which is like a really like fun poppy song. There's always like a hint of melancholy in all of their music though, and in most power yeah. pop. Um but I yeah, I like. Badfinger their album Wish You Were Here which I think was their last album not to be confused with the um the Pink Floyd album but um that's a really good album so shout out to a different song from what you're choosing again but Wish You Were Here is probably my favorite Badfinger album
1: I never heard this song or any of the covers.
0: Never? Say the Aww. last part
1: The only without you that I was hitherto familiar with is the one by Motley Crue
0: yeah, that's commendable. That's Thank you. something to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Motley Crue's, um ballads, I guess. Me too. I love um, Don't Go Away Mad, Girl, Don't Go Away Mad. I love that song. <laughs> that's one of those songs that is just like I, I listen to in the car with the windows down. I'm like, I feel really cool listening to this song, even though I'm listening to Motley Crue. And
1: <laughs>
0: home Sweet Home the 20th crew
1: is cool. Yeah, or timeless.
0: <laughs> I love Home Sweet Home because I love the video. Oh, What was I watching recently? Oh, it was um, <laughs> it was a Fast and the Furious movie where they're like all doing different things. Like all of the Fast and the the, 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 the like individual me- members of the Fast and the Furious family are out doing different things, and they get this call, and they're like, "I'll be right there." And I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like the beginning of Home Sweet Home <laughs> by Molly
1: Crew." <laughs> it's a great song.
2: Bridget does my hair, and she lives two hours away from me. And I always find myself, like, I'll just put on a random playlist, and usually it'll end, and then Spotify will just, like, be like, did you also want to listen to this and do the predictive radio thing? And I always end up listening to both (laughs) Judas Priest and Motley Crue (laughs) the entire two-drive down, and it was a four- or five-hour drive down this time because of traffic, Mm, and I was just sitting in traffic listening to... Same old Same old I made my parentheses playlist while I was there Such a fucking Um,
0: banger I found this mashup of Cameos, Word Up and Girls, Girls, Girls And it fucking rules um can you send I, that to right, me? I can. I'm gonna talk about crew more in my next pick as well. You wanna go right <laughs> Wait, into it? Yeah. I have to
1: ask you a quick question. Who's yeah. Ian Hunter?
0: Oh so Ian Hunter, okay, so remember when we talked about Bad Finger or no, yeah oh my God. Se- a few minutes, minutes ago. Seconds ago. No, that's not, I meant to, <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. Remember when we talked about Bad Company? Yeah. Yeah. Um so remember how I said that some of the members of Bad Company were originally from Matahoopol? Yeah. So Amy Hunter is the guy from Matahupo. Not, oh, okay. not in Bad Company. He's like the main guy in Matahupo, though. The oh, but player. he
1: was not in Bad Company.
2: No. I'm Got just trying to, well, thank I'm, I'm you. trying
0: to make connections here. <laughs>
2: I'm trying to make this explanation more confusing. You're trying to expand the Baby Lee Rath multiverse. Exactly. So
0: this is Once Bitten, Twice Shy by Ian Hunter. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. And you would think that a glam metal version of this song would be so fucking sick. When Quiet Riot covered glam rock staple Come On Feel The Noise by Slade. Great. An improvement even. It just <laughs> makes sense that 70s British glam rock in the hands of the American sleaze balls who grew up listening to it would rock hard as fuck. But alas, the glam metal version that we got of Once and Twice Shy in this bullshit timeline that we live in is by... Great white And oh how they butchered my boy I <laughs> <laughs> twice shy by Ian Hunter it just has so much swagger so much sleaze and so much balls that it really didn't even need to be covered unless it was by Molly Crew. I think that would fucking rule I can hear Vince Neil's voice on this it would be a banger like most, like most crew songs most crew covers have they covered anything no they have
1: yeah smoking in the boys room
0: Yes, of course. I love that part. <laughs> I'm not going to get too off topic, but I like <laughs> the part at the beginning where he's doing the spoken word part and Vince Neil goes, but I found a way to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he looks and sounds so stupid in that video. Oh, um, I love him so much. Yeah, I love, we're a big Vince Neil apologist over here. Anyway, <laughs> back to back to Ian Hunter. <laughs> Once bitten, twice shy is perfect from the Cockney L.O and the sparse little beat, to the boogie piano, to the drum solo that launches into damn near a new song, and finally to the Mick Ronson guitar solo that rocks so fucking hard it made my heart beat faster as I was re-listening to this song while writing these notes. The original version is so, so good, and it's a damn shame that the cover is better known, at least in the U.S. Um, When I googled this during research, I typed in Once, Bitten and Twice, Shy, and Great White immediately came up, and it made me really sad. Ian Hunter, Sorry, the
2: artist that's rules the only version that I know until now. Well, you should
0: apologize. Ian, <laughs> Ian Hunter, <laughs> the artist rules and Ian Hunter, the album rules. Um, this that's the album that this song is on. And I encourage you to give it a listen. Share some of the ballad bullshit that always brought the vibe down about the hoopla albums is on there. Ian Hunter is going to Ian Hunter after all. But songs like Once Bitten, Who Do You Love, Lounge Lizard, and The Truth, Whole Truth, Nothing But the Truth are insanely good latter-day glam tracks that don't deserve this Ian Hunter erasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts,
2: boys I like I said, <laughs> I'm so, so very sorry that I'm only just now hearing this version, but it's fucking insane. It's really yeah. good. And
0: like I said, you should apologize. And I'm sorry that you have been cheated <laughs> by, by been. living in the U.S., I guess.
1: I think it's <laughs> extremely funny when a musician is just using their given name that's on their birth certificate as their stage name, like Ian Hunter, and then they name their album after their own first and last name. Many yeah. musicians have done this, and it cracks me up every single time. Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Britney Spears.
0: His, name is, is, his last name is Patterson. Ian Hunter Patterson. Yeah, that's so interesting. I actually didn't know that. Oh,
1: that's me funny. either.
0: But I, I would have dropped the Patterson too, I suppose.
1: I don't know. Am I alone here? Is that funny? Or am I?
2: No, I like that. Like, here's my birth, for, like, my <laughs> given this album name, my legal name on my, that appears on my... Social security card. Yeah. My government name. Oh, Ian Hunter got fucked again because um
0: the presidents of the United States covered Cleveland Rocks for the fucking theme <gasps> of the Drew Carey Cleveland show. And Rocks? The, yeah, but oh, not the man. one used in the Drew Carey show, which I'm sure is more famous because everyone knows the Drew Carey show, obviously. Yeah. Um, do y'all well, no, I don't know if y'all play The Simses as prolifically as i did but in the sims um there was like a party expansion pack where if you had an insane party drew Carey would show up
2: and i, I had i had drew Carey
0: come to many of my parties i don't mean to brag pretty but pretty cool
2: every time you talk about the sims it just like makes me so happy
0: if drew Carey is a rockin don't come a knockin wait bro what Oh, I was just gonna brag
1: also about my video game conquests. And it is that at one point I was number one on the A-list on Paris in Hollywood.
2: Oh that's fuck, that's good. Sick
0: too.
2: Oh man, yeah. I played Kim Kardashian in Hollywood a lot. I hated everything about I hated that I did it, but all my friends played it. We could play together and do modeling shoots together and get stars, and then there were two different kinds of currency and one of the kinds of currency you could only get by like either paying for it or you would do a bunch of like promo things where you would like sign up for different like emails like win a year big max or whatever and I used my old boss's like mailing address and I signed her up for a ton of shit and I got the good hair
1: that's pretty genius I that's actually the game that I meant also there's no such thing as parasol in Hollywood
2: I believed you that there was <laughs> thank you um,
1: would you like to hear about this weird song
2: Yes, please.
1: Yes, please. My next choice is called Alone Again Or, and it is originally by Love and covered by The Damned. Love is an underselling but critically beloved psych band from the late 60s in LA. Their album Forever Changes is super important and influential to other musicians, but especially at the time, not super radio-friendly hitmakers. This song, Alone Again Or, is one of their better-known tracks. Here's a clip of it. for you. you do
0: just what you to do
1: Arthur Lee, the frontman and songwriter, was known as the toughest kid in his south-central neighborhood in the 50s, which is pretty funny because he was also an accordion player. Uh, Love, the band that he started, was one of the few racially diverse bands in the psych scene, um, like the psychedelic music scene in the 60s. Rock can be very white, which is kind of ironic because the whole sound is appropriated from obviously black music in the form of blues and gospel um arthur lee in fact his first music training was as a gospel musician at his childhood church um love was super influential and inspired Jimi hendrix the rolling stones the doors robert plant and jesus and mary chain and of course the damned which is the their version is the first one that i heard of this song and it's so weird and ear-catching to me like if you hear it once it like it kind of sticks out to you forever which is true of a lot of damned songs And here's a clip of that. It's It's from their 1986 album, Anything, which was a little bit after their, like... It's definitely, like, their post-punk era, um, as opposed to, like... The neat, neat, neat era. There's also a version of this song by the band Colexico. What do you think, lads?
0: I first heard the love version. I actually didn't hear, like many of the songs in here, I didn't hear the dance <laughs> version until this playlist. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was a, I was aware of love because again, big psych rock household. And oh yeah, love seven and seven is was on um, the Nuggets compilation as all as well as mm. the Standells. So. I was aware of that, and that kind of made me seek out love as a kid because I was a dorky kid who, like, fucking 60s psych rock, I guess. And just looking for love That's cool.
2: <laughs> as a child.
1: I didn't um, hear the Dan version until probably college, to be honest.
2: I first heard the love version as well. Um, my ex was, like, really big into kind of... Frog stuff and like early late sixties early seventies and so um, he had that on vinyl and we would listen to that album a lot. Um,
1: I have the impression that Love is kind of um, like an album nerds band. Would you say if you're a big
2: oriented
1: rock? (laughs) I would say it's album oriented. It is for the album oriented rock uh, aficionado.
2: Yeah. So, but yes. So I, I heard that one first. I actually hadn't heard the Damned version until this playlist um but i had forgotten mm. about this song so it was like really exciting when i i pre- i kind of blindly listen to our playlists once we make them i will just like press play on them and it's often if it's before we've recorded i'll just shuffle it and so i came up and i was like what what this oh go!" and i got really excited because i hadn't heard this in so long and it's one of those songs for me that like i know it but i didn't know like i wouldn't have ever if I heard it, being able to tell you why or where I heard it or Mm -hmm. who it was or anything, you just, you know it, so.
1: I feel like it's really possible that a lot of these songs that were kind of big in the 50s and 60s that I did hear them at some point, but they didn't, they just didn't, like, make an impression at all. And then Mm -hmm. later when I heard, like, the New Wave or Punk version, I was like, now that's what I call music. (laughs) Just because, like, when I was younger when I was a kid, I had really specific types of sounds that I, like, types of music that I would kind of, like, perk up for and not others. It's actually true to this day.
2: Same. Same. Cool.
1: What about this next song, then?
2: I mean, I guess I'm, like, in the mood to be sad today or something, because this song is Tears for Fears, Mad World, from 1982. And the cover version that achieved far more popularity and mainstream success was by Gary Jules in 2001. So here's the cover. People
0: run in circles, it's a very, very mad word.
2: Here is the original. because it was when one of my favorite movies as a teenager, Donnie Darko, which is, like, really off-brand for me. Like, it's, if you know anything about me, this is, like, very confusing information to absorb at this moment. Like, it's far too dark. The bunny is far too scary. There's a gross pedophile, and there's, like, no real resolution to much of the plot. Like, it's just weird to be weird. Um, But it's, like, weird and spooky, and there is something about it that I, when I saw it when I was 18, it was just, like, very comforting to me. I again I was going through a lot at the time so um but I loved like the dark and creepy soundtrack too and hearing the Gary Jules version made me really curious about what the original was because I did know it was a cover um and then I discovered Tears for Fears and then I spent a lot of my freshman year of college downloading Tears for Fears from like I'm wearing Kazaa and putting them on mix CDs I made for people <laughs> so I know I also used one Tears for Fear song in an animation project I had to do in college which is funny because even when I was in high school I was using shit like Danger Zone and Van Halen or I guess Van Hagar right now as soundtracks for my video projects and all my classmates would be like why is your music taste the way that it is. Um, So after hearing the Tears for Fears version, I much prefer it. Um, It was released as a single in the UK and like three other countries, and it didn't really do much chart wise. So I think that while many listeners of our podcast might be of the demographic where it seems wild to insist that the Gary Jules version from a fucked up (laughs) movie in 2001 was more popular. But I'm talking about like statistically speaking. Yes, that is the case. And it is more well-known um which what did, what did y'all hear first
1: so at first when you put this on the notes i was like there's no way that there is a version of this song that's better known than the tears for fears version but then when i listened to it i was like okay yes that's in every fucking movie
2: <laughs> it's in it every has been.
1: emo movie since yes. 2001 And every time I hear it, I think it's a joke. Like, what if we covered this unusually sad New Wave song in the style of R.E.M.?
0: I always thought it was R.E.M.
2: (laughs) It reminds me of, like, the male counterpart to Amy Mann's songs on the Magnolia soundtrack. Yeah. Um, Where it's, it's very sparse, and it's just fucking sad. And the original is not sad it's just kind of like an observation and it's just i mean it's dark and it's weird and like they the the interviews where they talk about recording this song it's like yeah we were looking you know looking at our apartment window and whatever town they lived in like watching the hustle and bustle and we're like it's a it's a mad world out there or whatever i mean tears for fears
0: is pretty fucking sad it's just not slow and dirty like the
2: Bullshit. Carry jewels. Right. Like yeah. The lyrics are super
0: sad, but
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Tears for Fears is like the bad finger of new wave. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I agree. They're like very, very sad, and I love them.
2: Yeah, they're super tears. Tears. It's in the band name. It's tears.
1: This Um, song, also this cover, started the trend of every horror movie having a scene with a down tempo, maybe minor key, acoustic cover of some like super poppy song. And we're oh, all begging, all of us, for it to stop. <laughs> it's been apparently twenty two years of this trend.
0: My favorite was the one that they did for "I Got Five on It" by Lewis for yeah. Um, for, uh, See, that was they used for it in, the, us. in
2: um Fast and Furious, right? Wasn't it in the Fast and Furious promos
0: for ten know. for for X, the newest one? Because that's um. That's Bone Thugs and Notorious B.I.G.
2: No, I no. know that. I'm talking about, like, <laughs> an older they- one. What? They use which song? I got five on it. Like, it's, like, a
0: foreboding version of it. Like Oh, that was for that um, Jordan Peele movie. I don't remember which one it was. It's
1: called Us, yeah. Yeah. and it's just That's a subversion so of this trope. Oh,
2: okay. Sorry, I thought it was for a fast... I'm sure. Yes, well, I Fury think it's movie also. Movie I
0: wish Fast and the Furious was a horror movie. That'd be fucking sick. Ooh.
2: God! I would love to see one of those. Speaking recut of As like how they do the um, YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, they do like the they people do <laughs> the, <laughs> the recut trailers. Like Mrs. Doubtfire is a horror movie, and, and the one Shining as like a, a <laughs> theme with the Salisbury. Yeah. the soundtrack is the fucking one. It's so um, good. Yeah. I I do love that very, very much. Me too. Um, it's really funny. I feel like, Bridget, looking back at, why did I listen to Nine Inch Nails so much? Why did <laughs> I, I watch Donnie Darko so much? Oh,
1: I know why I listen to Nine Inch Nails so much. <laughs> I just feel bad for past me that okay, that's okay, what I... Okay, <laughs> okay,
2: okay.
1: All right. There's right, no right. doubt in my mind. I remember it's crystal clear. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I also like how you ended that with like, and then I left my hometown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was telling someone today, my coworker and I decided to have a a '90s country. One of our customers called it, a hoot Um but <laughs> when had a '90s country revisit. And I said we play my my Ohio, Erica anthem, "Wide Open Spaces." And there were customers in the store when I said this, and I was like, I remember driving around in my dented 1993 Nissan Sentra, literally driving through cornfields, singing this song at the top of my lungs, being like, someday I will leave. Someday I will leave.
1: <laughs> and you did.
2: Yeah.
1: It didn't even take that long.
2: Yeah. I also I thought it was really funny when my parents thought That after I ended a relationship, they're like, well, we'll get the recast room ready and we'll get back here. And I was like, "Um, I don't I live here now.
1: (laughs) No, you don't understand. The hometown and I have also broken up. (laughs) The breakup. I won't be back.
2: (laughs) No, thank you. Maybe I should tell them about the wide open spaces driving. Again, literally through cornfields.
1: See, this is one of the many benefits of being the child of weasels who had to also (laughs) escape their hometown. They got it. They were like, see ya.
2: (laughs) The hometown
0: I grew up in was so small and crappy, but my mom also hated it, and my parents weren't from there. Where does your mom uh, live now? In Lansing, so not that far from where I grew up in, but my mom is originally from Detroit and Port Huron. Oh. And so, unlike most people I grew up with who were, like, they lived in Williamson their whole life, my mom was like, I hate this fucking place, and if we can move, we will. <laughs> and so, she never expected me to return back.
2: That's great. I like your mom also sounds like a weasel, which is fucking cool. Did we decide yeah. that your parents are, are weasels? You come Maybe. from a family of weasels? I Yeah, I would say that, I guess.
0: It, but it's weird, because they're not, like, cool California weasels, they're just, like,
2: You don't have to be from California to be from a weasel. No, not at all. I'm from Ohio, and I'm a weasely weasel.
1: My brother is a weasel. My brother and his wife are both mage weasels, and they live in uh, the great state of Iowa and always have. (laughs)
2: Like that one is a jock weasel. Like that makes me real happy.
1: Yeah, one of my brothers is a jock weasel. One is (laughs) a science weasel.
0: Is such a thing as jock weasels.
1: If you meet my brother. Yeah, he, he's like in deep cover, but he's a weasel. <laughs> and then my middle brother is a music weasel, and he is also chef. Shout out to Harry's Bar and Grill in Iowa City, Iowa.
2: All right. Bridget, will you consult our crystal ball slash shared Google document and tell us what our next theme is? Yeah. How many numbers do we have? One hundred. We have oh my god we have 100 numbers. This is relevant to only us. <laughs> number, it says number 40. Number 40 gonna be one of my lists. Oh, oh that's yeah! Gonna be good. Oh, list is gonna be fucking hot. I'm so excited. All right, Bridget, you did the thing. Follow us at <laughs> Baby Lee Roth Podcast on Instagram, especially if you like dumb memes or if you want to see some of the things we talk about on the show. You can email us at babyleerothpodcast at gmail.com and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen on. Like, tell your friends, bro. Um, Ladies and ladies, uh, our theme song is by Electromagnet and our art is by Marlo Bro. Additional audio support provided by Hunter Bergen. Everything else is all us, baby. Nanu,
1: So long, sluts.
2: It's the most animated I've been the whole episode and then I end with Nanu Nanu.